Nas is it, like I said, he's our, he's our, one of our saviors now. He's he's gonna blow a lot of people's mind when that album drops. It's just his lyrics are just I, I can't even explain. It's just dope. The way he comes with his ideas <clears throat> and the way he hits it, you know what I'm saying, is clearly poetry. I mean, with all the producers that we have on the album, you know, Nas himself, you know, that's hip hop. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening, downloading and subscribing to the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm 12 Kyle. Check this out. On this podcast, we're going to break down, celebrate and highlight one of the greatest hip hop albums of all time. Nas's 1994 debut album, Illmatic. It's hard to believe this album is actually turning 25 years old this year. On April 19th, 1994, this album dropped. Now, before I get started, I should shout out the four voices that you heard before you heard mine. DJ Premier. Pete Rock, Q-Tip, and Large Professor. These guys contributed, were producers on the album. And we'll talk about the production a little later in the podcast. But yeah, man, it's 25 years. It's hard to believe. Now, stop for a second and think, where were you April 19th, 1994? Um, some of you weren't born. <laughs> Others of you probably couldn't come outside. Uh, For me, I was in college. And what's really interesting is that when I think about this album, I always kind of relate it to Freaknik. Now, I know you're thinking, okay, what does Illmatic have to do with Freaknik? But this album dropped actually the same week that I was going to attend my first Freaknik in Atlanta. So I was bumping it the whole time I was at Freaknik. Um but I, I, I've already talked about Freak Nick on another podcast. You can check that out if you haven't done so already. Funny podcast. Nonetheless, Illmatic came out that same week. And it's hard really for me to believe this. been 25 years. Um, but in 1994, that's what it was, man. And it was crazy. But even then, man, I, I have to kind of go back a little bit before then as far as my introduction to Nas. Um, and I'll never forget it. I was, it was the fall of 1991. So I was a freshman at South Carolina State University. And I never forget, we went to a party and it was me and my boys. And, you know, so we're, we're chilling. I'm single, <laughs> trying to come up on, you know, some honeys at the party. And I never forget, I was standing near the speakers and um, this song comes on, right? And, all I see is these dudes just jumping around, jumping up and down. And I knew the song because the song was uh, from Main Source, live at the barbecue. And as I'm watching these guys jump around, this voice comes in and he starts rhyming. My raps are 
trifle. I shoot slugs from my brain just like a rifle. Stampede the stage, I leave the microphone split. Play Mr. Tuffy while I'm on some pretty tone shit. Verbal assassin, my architect pleases. When I was 12, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. Nasty Nas is a rebel to America. Police murderer, I'm causing hysteria. My troops roll up with a strange force. I was trapped in a cage and lit out by the main source. Swimming and women like a lifeguard. Put on a bulletproof nigga, I strike hard. Kidnap the president's wife without a plan. And hanging niggas like the Ku Klux Klan. I melt mics to the sound waves over. Before stepping to me, I'd rather step to Jehovah. Slamming MCs on cement. Cause verbally, I'm iller than an AIDS patient. I move swift and uplift your mind. Shoot the gift when I rip and rhyme. Rapping sniper, speaking real words. My thoughts react like Steven Spielberg's poetry attacks. Paragraphs once hard. My brain is insane. I'm out to lunch guard. Science is dropped. My raps are toxic. My voice blocks locks and excels like a rock. And he said, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. I was like, yo, who is this? And I remember hitting my boy like, yo, did you hear what he said? And he, my boy was like not even paying attention to what I was saying. I was just like, for me, I'm more of a, like I pay attention to lyrics. That's just the way that I've always been. Like, so I'm interested in hearing what the rapper has to say. So this is my first time hearing Nas. And even though we're in this crazy party and this girl's there and guys are jumping around and this song is going off. I can't get past that lyric. When I was hell, I went to when I was 12, I went to hell for snuffing Jesus. And I'm like, yo, who is this? And you know, I found out later, you know, some guy named Nasty Nas. And that was it. And I mean, again, you know, there was no internet. There was no, I couldn't go look up his SoundCloud page. <laughs> it's 1994. I mean, the internet was barely even popping at that point. So that was my introduction and i just remember being in that party and asking my boy like yo who is that and he was he was like not even really paying me any attention he was trying to talk to girls and i'm sitting here you know being goofy listening to this lyric because i'm blown away by this guy's rhyming style i'm like this dude is crazy i don't know who this is but he's crazy and again i found out later that it was some guy named nasty Nas, and that was my first introduction to Nas. um but through that song and then um I think he was on back to the back to the grill again from third base. And, you know, he had a buzz. And, you know, so this album was very, very highly anticipated in 1994. Um, Like I said, I was preparing myself for Freaknik, but there was just a buzz like, yo, this Nas album's going to drop. This Nas album's coming out. It's coming out. And I mean, like, so all me and all of my boys, we had planned to go to the record store to go get, you know, the album. And what was interesting was, again, it's 1994, so, you know, there's no downloads. <laughs> so you actually had to get in your car or catch a ride. You know, and I'm a college student, so I don't have a lot of money. So, um, you know, the little $20 I had, <laughs> I went to the record store at the Prince of Orange Mall in Orangeburg, South Carolina, and um, where the school is located. And, uh, you know, I, I bought the CD. And so I was just, I was happy. I had the CD. And one thing I made sure that I did was because it was so it was so important for me to kind of listen to this album and digest it like and I had my boys with me. I didn't even play it in the car once I got it like I wanted to get to my room. I wanted to be isolated from everybody. I I didn't want to be bothered. I wanted to just sit down and just listen to this album. 
And um, 1994 was an interesting time because at that particular time, um, I mean, I'm going to keep it a buck. The West Coast was killing it. I mean, they, you know, Snoop had it. I mean, Dre had his run with the chronic. Uh, Snoop had just come out the previous, I think, September 93 um, with Doggy Style. Uh, of course, you know, you had Tribe. They dropped uh, Midnight Marauders and Wu dropped into the 36 Chamber. So the East was coming back, if you will. But, you know, it was the West. You know, they, they had a pretty nice stranglehold on hip hop at the time. Um and so I was just really interested to see how this would play out against the landscape because, you know, I, I think they had dropped a single. I think Halftime might have been the first single, but I'm going to be honest. I didn't hear any songs on the album until I actually copped the album. So it wasn't like there was, at least for me, because I was in college, there was no rollout, at least to me. It didn't feel like I got the, <laughs> like I got some, some, some early tracks or anything like that. So I didn't hear this thing. I didn't see it. I didn't know anything about it. All I knew was that it was coming out. That's it. Because, you know, we being on a college campus, you kind of knew when the music was coming out. Usually it was every new music came out every Tuesday back then. And so it was important for me and my boys to get to the store because, as I mentioned on previous podcasts, at that particular time, when albums got shipped to record stores, they only shipped a certain amount. So if you got shipped, I don't know, 50 copies of Illmatic, that was it. And I mean, you so and once you sold those 50 copies, good luck, buddy. <laughs> I mean, you you really run could run the risk of if you didn't get the album the day that it came out, you ran the risk of not getting the album at least for you know, it could be 2 or 3 days before the album before they got more copies in because it was on a supply and demand basis. And I'm in a college town. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to leave anything to chance, but you know, just like anything else, you know, it was even, and I remember getting to the record store. It was nice. It was a nice little line, you know, of cats waiting to get the album. Um, but you know, they had plenty of copies there when I got there. So I was cool. Um, but yeah, that's what 1994 looked like. It was, it was different. So here we are anticipating this album and there was a buzz in the streets and it was a buzz in hip hop. Um, this was one of the most at the time. At the time, I would venture to say, based on what I could remember about hip hop, it might have been the most anticipated hip hop album at the time. I don't think anybody else had that kind of buzz coming into their debut album. Now, well, maybe Snoop. Snoop's doggy style was probably Snoop's. Snoop was pretty highly anticipated too. So I'd probably say Snoop and Nas's debut albums probably were the most highly anticipated hip hop albums. And then I would say probably Fifty Cent in two thousand three. Those three albums probably the most anticipated debut hip hop albums that I can remember in in my hip hop history. Um, but yeah, 1994, man, it was crazy. And so, the, you know, the competition uh, was stiff and you had to come with it. And, you know, there was a sentiment, you know, not necessarily by the masses, but there was a sentiment that, you know, they wanted to see, quote unquote, New York come back. Uh, you know, so for someone to kind of take the flag and run with it, uh, we didn't know if it was going to be Nas. But I mean, here it was this album 
was highly anticipated. And um, I just remember getting back to my room and, you know, I'm looking at it. And the first thing I'm doing, I'm opening up the CD and I'm looking at the CD cover and there's a picture of a little boy. And I think Nas might have been eight or nine years old on this album cover in this Queensbridge, this place that I never heard of <laughs> prior to listening to this album. Um, well, I'd heard, I'm sorry, I heard of Queensbridge because of MC Shan. But I mean, like, I'd never seen a picture of it because, again, there was no Internet. Um, but Queensbridge is in the background. Nas child picture is on here. So I'm like, OK, this is dope. And I'm opening it up. I'm looking in the liner notes. Shout out to the liner notes. Um, I miss liner notes. <laughs> but when you read the liner notes, you really get an idea as to, you know, who was down with Nas and, you know, how he got down and, and who who produced the album. Um, but, yeah, it was. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I'm just blown away. Um I guess probably I could start with the production, right? The production on this album, I think, in a word, it was phenomenal, right? I think it's very hard to sequence albums sometimes, but I think this album was perfectly sequenced. Um, and you had a little bit of everything. I mean, you had, looking back on it now... You had probably, I would say, in DJ Premier and Pete Rock, you probably have two of the, arguably two of the greatest hip-hop producers of all time. Now, they weren't like that at that particular time, but they had a buzz. They had a name for themselves. Um, Large Professor, another dope-ass producer. Um, Q-Tip, you know, who really, if you didn't follow Tribe, you might not have known about his production skills, but he was dope behind the boards. Um, L.E.S. and Nas himself. So you had a little bit of everything. Um, but the production on this album was so cool. I mean, it was boom bap. It was a little bit of this, it was a little bit of that. It was a, I guess if you're making a recipe for production, this is what you would want. You would want to have just different ingredients. I mean, Primo, he produced uh, New York State of Mind, Memory Lane, and Represent. Then you had LES, he produced um, Life's a Bitch. Pete Rock did... Uh, the world is yours and <laughs> the world is yours, man. I mean, it's so crazy. You know what? I'll let Pete Rock tell you about the world is yours. The world is yours to me is like one of those, it's like a signature song of that album. Cause after I heard it, I paused the record and I just was repeating it in my head. And I was like, Oh man, started getting drum ideas. And then, you know, next thing you all know, put it together and I'm, and I'm blown away by what I just did, you know what I mean? So making that sample what it is today for hip-hop and then hearing this golden voice speak, you know, over it. It's just like, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Understandable smooth, the murderers move with the thief's theme, play me at night, they won't act right. The fiends of hip-hop, they got me stuck like a crack pipe. Like, 
he wanted me to participate vocally. You know, I always tell that story like, I, I'm not no singer, man, but he made me sing that hook. And, um, you know, it came out pretty good. All the way to a movie, man. All the way to a symphony. This guy's like ahead of his time. And I mean, like, so that song, I just, that piano riff was just crazy. But I, I'll get a little bit more into it um, a little later in the podcast. But Pete Rock was phenomenal. Um, Q-tip on One Love. And <laughs> what's weird is that I remember the first time listening to One Love and it was the beat was just do-do-do-do-do. I was like, what is this? Because <laughs> it was just so different. And, um, but I liked it though. It was, it was different. The first time I heard it, I was kind of a little thrown off by it because I was so into what Nas was saying. Um, but the more and more I listened to it, the more it grew on me. And I, I grew to love that production from Q-Tip. Um, and then Large Professor did Halftime. Um, he also did One Time For Your Mind. And uh, It Ain't Hard To Tell. Um, it Ain't Hard To Tell. God, it's crazy. It, taking the Michael Jackson sample and flipping it was crazy. Um I just kept playing it. <laughs> I'll be honest. Like, I remember my first two or three spins. I played It Ain't Hard to Tell first. Like, like just a, like back to back, you know, over and over again, just listening to that beat. Um, and also, speaking of samples, for LES to flip uh, the Gap Band song on Life's a Bitch. I mean, my heart is waiting for your love. I mean, shh, come on, bro. <laughs> So the production was crazy. It when you talk about the history of this album and what it means to people, uh, you can't ignore the production because the production was it was it was ten out of ten. It was a one, and I don't know. I'm always interested in finding out, you know, how things were made, and the more and more research that I did for this podcast. Uh, just listening to you know Q-Tip and Large Professor and Pete Rock and and DJ Premier talk about um, you know what it took to you know put this album together and what they felt like they were doing. And again, this is 1994. This isn't this isn't like the internet era where you just you know send a beat you know <laughs> via email and the guy jumps on the track and so forth and so on. And so. You know, it was crazy the fact that when you think about it, they all had to spend time together. Like they all had to sit down in a room, bang these beats out, and Nas had to come up with these crazy verses. Um, and I'll get to his lyrics and the tracks in just a second. Um, but yeah, the production is, it, I don't know how anyone who... Let's say if you don't like this album, and I don't, <laughs> I haven't met anybody that didn't like this album, but I will say what's interesting is that I remember not long after this album dropped, I had one of my teammates in my car, and I won't name his name because he knows who he is, and he, I'm pretty sure he's listening to this podcast, right? So we're riding, and I'm playing, and I remember distinctly playing, um, it ain't hard to tell. He was like, Yo, man, why you got that New York shit on, man? Put that down south shit on, dog. 
I was like, man, if you don't get your ass out of my car. And, you know, that was a dope thing about, and I what was cool for me, I just got in my car. So um, I had my little fly 19, was it like a 1988 Nissan Sentra? It was like Carolina Blue. And so, um, you know, I, I didn't have, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and tell y'all I had speakers or anything like that. I had nice factory speakers. And, um, but I had, I had a little bump in my car, so I would just ride around campus just playing, you know, playing with the windows down, playing Illmatic. And, um, but yeah, my boy, he, he was in the car with me. He did not particularly care for this album. He's like, man, I just don't see what you, he's like, every time I get in the car with you, you playing this shit. He's like, man, you, you need to put some Florida shit on it. I was like, man, if you don't get the hell out of my car. And so I just, I was, it was so funny once he sat down and actually listened to it, he was like, yo, that represent is tight, ain't it? <laughs> and I was like, man, I've been trying to tell you this for a month. It was like, I gave him like a month because he didn't even buy the album. I, I burned him. A, 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 I gave him a dub. And um, or did I? Yeah, I, I think I gave. No, I think somebody else gave him that because I didn't have a tape. I had a CD. So he copped the dub, a tape of somebody else's uh, tape. And. Um, so he started playing and started listening to it. And he kind of fell for it. So it's like, so that's our little inside jokes. Every time I talk to him, I, you know, I kind of remind him like, yo, you didn't like Elmatic. So what you have to say is, you know, like I, what you're saying makes no sense to me. It, you could be saying whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm not paying any attention to you because at one point in time, you didn't like Elmatic. <laughs> but um, like I said, the production, man, was just, it was crazy. I don't know how. They, you know, and, and keep in mind that all of these guys are relatively young. And that was the thing that really, even after my first listen, I, I just remember sitting there, sitting in my dorm room at South Carolina State University. And I just sat there with my headphones on and it literally felt like my mouth was on the floor. I could not believe what it was that I was hearing because honestly, in hip-hop, we had never seen anything like that. We had never heard anything like that. This guy was rhyming. He painted such a picture that, like, nobody would ever think you could do. I mean, like, some of the things that he was talking about. And, like, one thing that kind of I got lost in was that if you listen to Illmatic, then you remind yourself that Nas was only 20 years old when this album came out, right? And here's the funny thing. I'm only like nine months older than Nas, <laughs> right? So here's this guy in Queensbridge pinning this masterpiece. And here I am, a college football player at South Carolina State University, and I'm vibing to this music and this his sound and what he's talking about and what he's rapping about paints such a picture that it doesn't sound like someone that is my age. Like I was lot like it didn't dawn on me because in hip hop, I mean, again, this was the pre-internet era. You didn't know how old somebody was like I didn't know how old Ice Cube was. I, that's, you know, I probably still don't know how old Ice Cube is, but I can look it up. But like, nah, you don't. So, yeah, not, and, and here's the thing. When you look at the album cover and you look at the liner notes, and you look on the inside of the album, you see pictures of Nas. 
he looks relatively young, so he doesn't even look like he's 20 at the time. So here it is. This guy is pinning one of the soundtracks of the era of hip hop. And he's only 20 years old. Like that was mind boggling to me in and of itself that you could write something and be that poetic and be that dope at 20 years old. Like, what is it that you saw in your lifetime to make you say these things? And I'm going to get into the lyrics in just a second. But it was just that crazy. So along with the production, which was stellar, superb, I mean, unmatched, which is something, again, we've heard great. By this time, we had heard great production in hip hop, but not like this. I'm going to be honest. Not like this. Not like this on this level with a lyricist like this. And so, you know, we're wondering How did this come about? All I knew was that it was dope as hell and everybody had it. And here's the interesting thing about this album. This album didn't sell well. But at that particular time in 1994, it really wasn't about record sales. I mean, if you sold fine, if you went gold, that was cool. But, you know, Nas wasn't trying to get a platinum plaque. I mean, I think this album... I'm pretty sure it's probably a couple of times platinum now, but it didn't really sell like that. But he wasn't looking for the charts. He wasn't looking, you know, to to have a radio hit or anything like that. He was looking just to express to the world who he was and what he saw. And it was amazing. I mean, it was simply, simply amazing. And again, one of the best hip-hop albums of all time. I think it's up for debate, you know, where you want to put it. But I think, I feel pretty confident in saying that most hip-hop heads, if you're making a top five or a top ten list, you know, I feel about lists. (laughs) But if you're a real hip-hop head, this album is up there. I mean... It's got to be if you're a hip hop head. Now, you know, if you just listen to rap, then probably not. <laughs> but nonetheless, I mean, again, he penned something that it was a it was a, a masterpiece, a poetic masterpiece. Again, Nas also often often referred to himself as a ghetto poet. And that's exactly what he was. I mean, like this is this is Shakespeare. This is everything that you thought you could get from any type of novel, but it was some 20 year old kid in Queensbridge, New York, you know, pinning his life on the paper. And it was something dope and something for us to behold. And we loved it. I'll tell you what, let's take a quick commercial break. We'll hear from Nas. And on the other side of the break, I want to talk about these tracks. Sit tight. We'll be back in just a second. The music just, you know, spoke to the people that needed to know what was in my head and um, what it was like in the minds of everybody in New York at that time. That's what I thought. I thought the sound sounded like what was in everyone's head at some point, or that sound represents a certain section of your mind when you're in that that zone. You know, when you think about, you know, you know, I I gotta make something happen. 
and it's 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 trifling out here, you know. There's a lot of things that um uh that put you in a place where you don't know if you're gonna make it. Um, your neighbor who has just died, and his maggots crawling underneath the door from their body, OD, and the cops are running around going crazy, and you got things. There's a lot of things, you know. So that's there's a lot going on in New York, especially in the '90s. It's the same same as today. Same as today. It's still um, um, that song is uh, you know I think it's timeless in a, in a lot of ways. And just like that, we are back. Once again, it's your boy 12 Kyle, the 12 Kyle Podcast. And we're talking about Nas's Illmatic 25 years later. Man, it's hard to believe it's been 25 years. Um, Before the break, I was talking about the production. One thing I forgot to mention, I mean, like, even if you look back on a track like Life's a Bitch, you hear the horn, that's Nas's dad. <laughs> I mean, like, how dope is that to put your old man on your debut album? That's Nas's pops blowing the horn. The production, like I said, was just so crazy. I mean, like, it had a, there was some jazz influence. There was some, you know, hip-hop influence. You had these melodic hooks, the loops, a lot of piano, um, it was just on some it was it was so cool but it was it was a cool vibe but it was also gangster too it was just it was real hard and so like this album even when you listen to the samples it's some vintage funk soul jazz so it's a little bit of everything um even the little background on um memory lane kind of reminds me of church like a choir um so yeah, it it he was production wise, these guys were ahead of their time as far as phonically how they wanted this album to sound. So the production, like I said, was it was phenomenal. It is still what amazes me about this album about the production is that even when I listen to it now, twenty five years later, and I listen to this album every week. <laughs> I joke you not. I listen to this album every week. And so when I hear it, I always hear something different. Honestly, I listen to it every week and I hear something. It could be a snare. It could be something in the back. There's something different every week. And I think that's what, you know, makes that's one of the things that makes this album as special as it is. Um, all right, let's get into the tracks. Um, the album starts off with the Genesis that's produced by Nas. Uh, so this album, the Genesis is pretty much just, you know, an intro, right? So when you look at the album cover, the track listing says 10 tracks, right? So in essence, you got nine tracks. I know for a fact that you probably couldn't get away with nine with a nine track album from from someone on their debut album like this. Yeah, you probably could get it on, you know, Jay-Z or somebody else's album, you know, their 10th album or something like that. 
but nine tracks um, at that particular time in hip hop was unheard of. This album is only 39 minutes long. Um, so you got that. So we get past the Genesis. That's the intro, which is a cool intro. I think the introductory song, the first song, New York State of Mind, produced by DJ Premier. Man, listen, this is my favorite song on the album. I can't say it's the best song because I don't really know if there is a best song because all of the songs bang. <laughs> but this is my favorite song. This is my favorite song from Nas, one of my favorite uh, Primo produced tracks. Um, I'll let Primo tell you. He had just written it. And uh, I remember Showbiz from DITC was there, and we were just like, man, I can't wait to hear what he does to this beat because it was it was my second time. Represent was the first record I did, but New York State of Mind, I was just really he. We found that sample together. Nas was just like, let's just thumb through records, and if we if we feel a vibe, you know, most artists I work with, they'll just let me do my thing. He was like you know, can we just play records and just find stuff? He said, that's how, you know, large used to do it. I was like, cool. So when we heard that piano sample, we both looked up at the same time when we heard that melody. And he was like, can you hook that up? I was like, done, hooked it up. And then uh, when he goes in the booth, he goes in there with like, he brought like 20 people with him and they're all in the booth with him. And I'm like, yo, y'all gotta be quiet. So all of that's going on in the, 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 the booth. And I constantly saying, just be quiet. So, uh, Grand Wiz, who's from the uh, from the uh, Bravehearts, Bra- Brave yeah. uh, he he said, "Yo, I want I want you to talk with me at the beginning before the beat, the piano comes in." And th- so th- they're standing there, kind of just freestyling it. So when he said he looks down at the paper, says, "I don't know how to start this." I'm like, "It's coming." So I'm like counting them like this, and he just happens to look up and goes, "Yo." And then just starts kicking the verse. So and, and did it in one take, and we would just like. And then I remember when he did the whole take, he goes. Well, how was that? Was that cool? You know, all shy and everything. Was that cool? We were like, dude, we're about to, New York's about to go crazy. And and that was one, it's still to this day one of the biggest records of both of our careers. And so that's bugged out to me in and of itself because as he said, he did this in one take. That's mind boggling to me. Like, well, the first time I heard Primo say that, I was like, I wanted to just run out of the room and ram my head into a wall. I mean, like, how do you do this in one take? One take, folks, for those of you who don't know, means that there was no edits. There was no changing the verse that you heard him spit on the album. He only did it one time, which is rare. Most times you have to. And that happens because you're song making. Sometimes, you know, your voice isn't right. Sometimes the tone isn't right. Sometimes the beat ain't right. Something, sometimes things have to be changed. It's a process in creating a record. But on this album, he did that song in one take. And when he says, I don't know how to start this. And if, I mean, I think <laughs> to me, like, that's so dope. You're looking at your lyrics and like, I don't know how to start this. Yo, rappers, <laughs> I mean, that's crazy. Uh, the beat, the piano riff, <sighs> it's killer, man. It's a killer. I love it. I love it. Like, I could never grow tired of hearing this song. Um, 
the piano riff and the drums are just sinister. And Nas comes in. Rappers, I monkey flip them with the funky rhythm. I be kicking. Musician, inflicting composition of pain. I'm like Scarface sniffing cocaine, holding an M16. See, with the pen, I'm extreme. Bullet holes left in my peepholes. I'm suited up in street clothes. Hand me a nine and I'll defeat foes. Y'all know my stilo. With with or without the airplay, I keep some E&J sitting bent up in the stairway. <laughs> Come on, man. Are you serious? When I heard that, I was like, yo, this dude is crazy. Like, he's painting a picture. And again, I don't know about y'all, but I've never been to Queensbridge. But he paints a picture of his neighborhood that is so vivid that even Stevie Wonder could see what he's saying. I mean, like, I, when I heard this song, that was like when my, when my mouth was literally on the floor. I was just like, really? Either on the corner betting grants with the CeeLo champs, laughing at bass heads, trying to sell some broken amps. <laughs> Who don't know crackheads trying to sell broken shit? <laughs> Man, um, Incredible incredible phenomenal song um dj premier man he he crushed it and again i'm not just saying this because it's my favorite or maybe i am saying this because my favorite song on this album i could never grow tired of listening to this song and it's the perfect lead off of this album and basically you know nas hits a, he hits a home run and he just keeps hitting home run after home run um the second track Life's a Bitch, featuring AZ. Now, AZ is the only guest feature on the album. <laughs> What's interesting is that I remember hearing some young Thundercats, or reading some young Thundercats on Twitter talking about the fact that they didn't like the fact that Nas only had one feature on the album. And normally I stay out of those conversations, but I had to remind them as the OG that I am, <laughs> They call me OG. I like that. Um, <laughs> but I had to remind them, like, look, it's 1994. Uh, guys really didn't do a lot of features back in the day. I mean, like, that wasn't something that you did. That kind of came to be in the mid to late 90s. But in the 80s and the early 90s, no, you ain't do no features. You didn't. I mean, you might have one feature, maybe two max but you didn't put a lot of people on your album and some of it was because you know you just didn't want somebody to outshine you on your own own song own song excuse me so i get it and that's kind of what happened on this song (laughs) az is a phenomenal lyricist very very underappreciated I don't necessarily say he's underrated, even though he is underrated. He's extremely, he's even more extremely underappreciated. One of the best lyricists that very few people outside of hip hop circles know about. Um, And he got on this track produced by L.E.S. over that Gap Band sample. And he proceeded to drop 
one of the best guest features of all time. And I'm not just using that as hyperbole. I'm being honest. If you were to create a list or you were to ask people about the you know best guest features in hip hop history, AZ on Life's a Bitch, that's probably going to be number one. Visualizing the realism of life and actuality, fuck who's the baddest, the person's status depends on salary. And my mentality is money orientated. I'm destined to live the dream for all my peeps who never made it. Because, yeah, we were beginners in the hoodies, five percenters. But something must have got in us because all of us turned to sinners. <laughs> Are you serious? And again, if you're younger, you might not know what a five percenter is. <laughs> but if you were like me and you were on a black college campus, you knew what a five percenter was. Um, he crushed it, man. I mean, and don't get me wrong, Nas's verse is dope as well. It's not as dope as AZ's, but it's dope. <laughs> but it's a phenomenal verse. AZ just crushed it. Keeping it real, pack is still getting high because life's a bitch and then you die. Are you kidding me? Life's a bitch and then you die. That, I mean, that was that was the phrase. That was the phrase. I mean, like, if you know anybody that was around in 1994, put this record on. Watch what happens. They're going to go crazy. <laughs> I'll just give you a little heads up. They're going to go crazy. I mean, that's just what it was. Um, but yeah, this is, this is one of the... <sighs> It's incredible tracks. Then you move on to the next track. My man Pete Rock. The world is yours. That piano rift that he did, he sampled, excuse me, was crazy. And then even to have Pete Rock, you know, kind of singing on the hook. Um that was really something that, you know, as Pete Rock said, you know, it wasn't something that he wanted to do, <laughs> but, you know, Nas got him to do it and he he obliged and it was just incredible. I mean, like this was. It was a single, but it was just it was an anthem. I mean, it really was an anthem for us um, young kids coming up. You know, the world is yours. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. The mind activation react like I'm like I'm facing like, facing time like Pappy Mason. With pens I'm embracing. Wipe the sweat off my dome. Spit the phlegm on the streets. Suede Thames on my feet to make my cypher complete. Who didn't have suede Thames back then? <laughs> Shit, I got suede Thames right now. <laughs> 25 years later. <laughs> I'm out for presidents to represent me. I'm out for presidents to represent me. I'm out for dead fucking presidents to represent me. Come on, man. That's it, man. I mean, another phenomenal track. Um, the production, Nas's lyricism. Again, he's such a great orator and 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 poet that you almost, even in the beat, you kind of get lost a little bit. But he brings you back with his lyricism. And I mean, again, I don't know what he saw, what he had to do to get to that point, but he was. He was incredible at that point. 
Um, the next track, Halftime. Another joint. Halftime for me, it was something that, and this was this was produced as I mentioned earlier by Large Professor. Um, I think he's spitting some of his best lyrics. I think he's spitting some of his best lyrics. And as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, I'm always looking for a couple of bars or at least a bar that just kind of catches my ear. And he said, Atlanta ain't brave. I'll pull a number like a pager. <laughs> Come on. Are you serious? <laughs> Come on, man. I pull a number like a pager. And I mean, you know, again, it's 94. People had pages. I didn't have a page in 94, but I knew what a pager was. I mean, everybody, some other people, I was a broke college kid. I ain't no pager. Um, and then it would be, you know, he would be talking about, you know, Atlanta ain't braver, referring to the Atlanta Braves, which had a you know pretty good baseball team at the time. Um, and I found out later uh, that some people, I found this out after I moved to Atlanta, um, for some strange reason, people, some people here in Atlanta took that as a diss. Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't think that was a diss. I don't think he was dissing Atlanta. I mean, he's in Queensbridge. You think Nas had come to Atlanta at the age of, at the time he was writing this album? Probably not. But I digress. <laughs> Next track. Memory Lane, produced by uh, DJ Premier. Memory Lane sitting in the park. Um, this one is very reflective. This one is very poignant. Um, again, he takes you there because he, the picture that he paints is just that. Him sitting in the park, what we used to call shooting the shit. You just sitting down just talking about how things used to be and what you remember. And... In being reflective, Nas, I think he is able to capture even more people um, lyrically than he had probably on previous songs because he's just really just kind of opening himself up and telling you and inviting you into the world that he lived uh, prior to making this album. Um, <laughs> he said, I rap for listeners, bluntheads, fly ladies and prisoners, Hennessy holders and old school niggas. Then I be dissing up. Unofficial that smoke old wooly thigh. I dropped out of coolie high, gassed up by a cokehead cutie pie. <laughs> I dropped out of coolie high, gassed up by a cokehead cutie pie. <laughs> man, that's just that's lyricism, man. I, I don't know. I mean, like for those of you listening, you could kind of tell I'm kind of giddy and talking about this, and I am because like. I just appreciate that because even on this, even at me being the age that I am now listening to it, I can still appreciate, you know, the lyricism and not just, we didn't always have this in rap, right? We didn't have, it was just one, two, three, three, two, one. That's what we had. And there's nothing wrong with Run DMC or, or anybody like that. But when I heard this guy rhyme, he reminded me so much. Of the God MC Rakim Allah. And he was the second coming, in my opinion. You may not think so, but I think so at that particular time. And so, again, nobody was rapping like this. Nobody, I mean, even the most lyrical, miracle, <laughs> spiritual <laughs> MCs that you could think of, 
at the time, nobody had this kind of run. And again, this is coming from a 20-year-old. It's crazy. It's crazy. So then we move on to the next track, um, One Love, produced by Q-Tip. Um, honestly, I would have loved if Q-Tip and Nas had worked together more on you know some of Nas's you know subsequent albums and songs but um this one man he the, I mean the picture is there he's basically reciting letters letters to his uh <laughs> you know incarcerated friends um and it gives you that hood vibe like you know because most of us <laughs> know somebody who's been locked up and um well, I can say that I didn't have anybody, you know, my close friends or anybody in my family locked up. I knew people were locked up. And what he's doing is basically just kind of taking you on a journey as to how it would sound if you were penning a letter. Because, no, you know, you know, that's what you did back in the day. You had to write a letter. You, you couldn't you weren't necessarily going to pick up the phone and call. You couldn't text nobody or anything like that. And you definitely couldn't call somebody in jail. Um but I mean, it's very reflective. He goes, what up, kid? I know shit is rough doing your bid. When the cops came, you should have slid to my crib. Fuck it, black. No time for looking back. It's done. Plus, congratulations. I know you got a son. I heard he looks like you. Why don't your lady write you? I told her she should visit. That's when she got hyper. Flipping. Talking about he acts too rough. He didn't listen. He be riffing while I'm telling him stuff. I was like, yeah, sure they don't care. She a snake, too. Fucking with them niggas from that fake crew who hate, who hate you. But guess, yo, guess who got shot in the dome piece, Jerome's niece, on her way home from Jones Beach. Man, listen. There's <laughs> so many levels to this, right? He's talking about, he starts off by saying, like, look, hey, your girl had a baby. And I'm trying, I tried to tell her, yo, she should write you. And she starts talking about, you know, if he hadn't been tripping, he wouldn't have been in jail. I mean, like. Doesn't that sound familiar? <laughs> um, phenomenal, man. Phenomenal. Again, like I said it earlier in the podcast, it took me a minute to get used to the sound of the way that sound phonically. But once I got past that and kind of embraced it, this became one of my favorite tracks. Um, there, I'm going to be honest. There aren't any tracks on here that I dislike. Um, there's one track that I don't like as much as let, let me let me rephrase this. I love every track on this album. Every track. There's one track that I don't love as much as I love the others. Um, and that's the next track. One Time For Your Mind. It is a damn good track. And I think it would fit um, on just about anybody's album. Uh, again, produced by the great large professor. But, um, you know, it's a dope track. I don't love it as much as it's, but it's not a skip. <laughs> it's not a skip for me. Um, but he, again, Nas is rhyming his ass off. He said, check it out. When I'm chilling, I grab the Buddha, get my crew to buy beers and watch a flick, Illid and Root for the villain. Plus every morning I go out and, it's, and love it when it's short as chili. Then I send a shorty to my block to the store for Phillies. After being burp, I'm getting tongue-tied. After being blessed by the herb's essence, I'm back to my rest 10 minutes, some odd seconds. That's where I get the honey at. Spend some nights for sexing. Keep lubrication. Lifestyle protection. I mean, 
I don't know what to say. I mean, like, he ain't even trying and he's just killing it. And again, I'm like, this dude is 20. I don't I can't remember when I found out how old Nas was when he wrote this, but it really messed with my head because I had held this album and still hold this album in such high regard to realize that he wrote it when we were about the same age. You know, he was in Queensbridge writing this. I was in South Carolina State catching passes, chasing girls. <laughs> so, I mean, like, wow. I mean, like, what a tale of two different lives. But it's like, that made me even more impressed because, honestly, when I was 20, I, had, I hadn't seen what he saw. For, for him to have lived this life and for him to have painted this picture was crazy to me. Um, the next track, Represent love it another one where Nas just he spazzes he just I mean like primo another classic primo track and Nas just spazzes he said yo they call me Nas I'm not your legal type of fella my wet drinking marijuana smoking street dweller who's always on the corner rolling up blessed when I dress is never nothing less than guess it's never nothing less than guess Kobe walking with a bop with my hat turned back. Love committing sins and my friend sell crack. This nigga raps with a razor. Keep it under my tongue. The school dropout. Never liked that shit from day one. Because life ain't shit but stress fake niggas and crab stunts. So I guzzle my Hennessy while pulling on mad blunts. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Man, listen. He said... <laughs> <laughs> when I dress is never nothing less than guess. Sidebar. One of the most popular clothing line, at least when I was in college at South Carolina State University, was guess. Right? And guess, I don't I'm not gonna say it was expensive, but for a broke college student, it was expensive. And so, man, I remember I got my hands on a little bit of money. And I went to the store and I bought me like three guest jeans. <laughs> I bought three guest jeans and three guest shirts. Man, you couldn't tell me shit. <laughs> oh my God, it was so funny. And so for me to hear that line, when I dress is never, I mean, cause again, you couldn't, when I, when I had my guest shit on, with my J's, man, you wouldn't, you couldn't see, you couldn't see me. Oh man, but seriously, but it was, I mean that. So that resonated. I was like, when I dress, I never nothing less than guess. So even so, every time I would put that on, I, I'd be playing represent. Um, but you know, walking with a bop with my hat turned back. That was me. I mean, like so, everything he's saying kids of our generation could relate to and even to this day some 25 years later i think people still can relate to the lyricism and the picture that he painted of you know just a kid just kind of growing up <clears throat> in the hood um and the last one last song on the album uh, it ain't hard to tell uh, again large professor the michael jackson sample um of human nature it ain't hard to tell. I excel, then prevail. The mic is contact. I attract clientele. My mic check is life or death. 
Breathing a sniper's breath, I exhale the yellow smoke of the Buddha through righteous steps. Deep like the shining, sparkle like a diamond. Sneak an Uzi on the island in my army jacket lining. Hit the herb like the comet, invasion. Nas is like the Afrocentric Asian, half man, half amazing. <sighs> Bruh. <laughs> I don't even know what to say. I mean, hit the earth like a comet, invasion. Nas is like the Afrocentric Asian, half man, half amazing. Um, Deep like the shining. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that you know what the shining is. My mic check is life or death, breathing a sniper's breath. I, I mean, like, when I heard that, I was like, yo, all I could tell my boy, like, did you hear what he just said? My mic check is life. A mic check. You know what a mic check is. And your mic check is before you go on stage. My mic check is life or death, breathing a sniper's breath. I mean, again, phenomenal lyricism. Phenomenal lyricism. This album is nothing short of spectacular. This album also did not come without controversy. The controversy was, was that either right after this album was released, the Source Magazine published uh, its mic ratings. And if you're familiar with the Source Magazine, or at least what it, the Source used to be, the Source Magazine was a hip-hop bible. Or at least that's the way it was described. Right? And so... People were really, really interested in seeing what, you know, just like any other album, what what you would get in the source. I remember buying the source or, you know, sometimes stealing the source <laughs> and uh, um, statute of limitations over. Right? OK, OK, OK. Um, and so, yeah. So but you would always no matter what, when you got your hands on the source magazine, you always flip to the back where the album reviews were, and you wanted to see how your album rated or whatever album that you were planning to get. And a lot of times, like for me, the source was pretty much on par with how I viewed albums. So if an album got four, four and a half mics, I was going to cop it. You know, sight unseen, unheard. I get it. Um, but not long after the album came out, if I'm not mistaken, because I think it happened right after the album came out, the word got out that the Source magazine was going to give Nas's Illmatic the coveted five mics. Perfect album. And people lost their damn minds. <laughs> and of course, we didn't find out about this until later, but when there was even the mention of the fact that the source might give an album a five mic, they said like people would call in bomb threats to the source. <laughs> I mean, like literally would call in a bomb threat. And so this album got five mics. And in my opinion, rightfully so. However, there were some people, particularly some on the West coast that were upset because Dr. Dre's Chronic did not get five mics. If I'm not mistaken, Chronic got four and a half mics. And I think that's about right. But this album got five mics. 
And so I had the album. And then I remember reading that they got five mics. And you can go back and I'm pretty sure you can find it online what the actual write-up was. But to get five mics, I mean, that would be the equivalent of your album being labeled and branded a classic. Now, I know the word classic gets thrown around by you young Thundercats or some of you young Thundercats way too much. But that's what it was. And that's what it is. And I have no no qualms with the source with the five mics. I think it's definitely a five mic album. Here's the thing. My only gripe, <laughs> if there is a gripe with this album is that it's 39 minutes. That's it. I mean, like, that's the worst thing that I can say. I mean, if the worst thing that somebody could say about your album is, oh, man, your album's too short. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I mean, are you really worried about somebody saying your album is too short? He did what he had to do. He said what he had to say, and he got on. And I think at the end of the day, you can appreciate that. At least I can. Nas is Illmatic 25 years later in my opinion sounds just as dope and just as relevant as it did 25 years ago i think the album is aged incredibly well i think hell nas is aged well because nas don't look too much older than he did back then but i think one of the things that stands out is that something i mentioned earlier is that when you listen to this album you can take something from it And while people are quick to call albums classics and quick to pip people on the all-time great hip-hop list or say this person's the GOAT or anything like that, again, this wasn't the most popular album. It wasn't the, you know, biggest selling hip-hop album. But what it was was that an album that expressed lyricism. It expressed... um, a side of society that many people never get a chance to see. And what it did was it set the bar for so many hip hop fans and so many uh, MCs to come behind Nas. Go listen to your favorite rapper of today. If he can rap, if you ask him who influenced you, or excuse me, influenced him, he'll probably say Nas. I'm willing to bet that. And so this album was a part of the reason why. When people mention some of the greatest MCs and Nas is usually in that discussion, this album is a large reason why. I think most hip-hop heads will agree that this is one of the best, if not the best, hip-hop album in history. For me personally, I'd probably have it in my top five. I don't think it's better than paid in full, but it's on a different scale. But lyrically, it's incredible. It is a masterpiece. It is something that if you want to rap, and I mean really, really rap, you need to sit down and study this album. And if you're a fan that appreciates lyricism or you just appreciate hip hop and the culture and you weren't around in 1994, all you have to do is pick up this album. Nas takes you right back to 1994 and he paints a picture that, like I said, most people never got a chance to see. And I think 25 years later, it's just as dope and it sounds just as good back then. And I'm glad we got a chance to experience it. 
that's going to do it for me. Thank you for checking out the latest edition of the 12 Kyle podcast. I'm your boy, 12 Kyle. I'll catch you guys next time. Five G's.